to the podcast. Hello. That's Caitlin. This is Haley. I'm me. Yeah. That's Haley. That was my pen that I was just clicking. So studious. Oh, yes. That's me. So you studious. So notes. helpful. Oh, yes. Um, in calligraphy? Oh, love it. Yes. We love to see it. No, I'm just writing my notes for what Elliot needs to cut, potentially or not, depending. A little behind the scenes. Yeah. See? Take a look behind the curtain. It's fucking annoying, but here we go. Uh, What are we talking about this week? Well, this week we're talking about um, Robert Chambers, a.k.a. the preppy killer. (gasps) Okay. Okay. However, um, wanted to bring up, I guess now... It's not really a correction section. We haven't had one of those in a while also, but, or we have, but we've fixed them in and of. But, um, yeah. Oh, and shout out to the person that threatened to tape all of our remotes together because we got the um, 911 call wrong <laughs> the other day <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> oh, all right. I didn't see that. They were gonna, I was like, you know what? I'll take that. I'll take that. That's not the worst threat I've received. I'll take that. But one of our listeners, Sin, had a question um, about um, in our last episode. So, Christ, she wanted to know if him becoming a doctor was the... Isn't that the aim of the justice system, they said, to rehabilitate? This is the kidnapper in the Barbara Mackle case that we talked about last week. Yeah. Yes. Um. And so they went on to say something, someone doing 10 years, educating themselves and being able to make a career helping the community is, in my opinion, the best scenario. Of course, he then got caught smuggling coke, so clearly not rehabilitated. But I mean, that was after his life got crashed by the local news outing him. So, I mean, isn't that the problem? We release prisoners into the wild and then as a society completely sabotage their attempts to integrate successfully. And we go, see, I told you criminals never change when they decide to tell society to go fuck itself and go back to crime. The dude tried. Med school is no joke. He made a real effort to be a better functioning member of society and got shot down. And even you had the reaction that I read as he was in the wrong for doing that. So and 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 they went on to say more to defend us now than to defend them because they're well within their right to say this. Yeah, Um, they're not criticizing us, which I appreciate. (laughs) Yeah, if anyone has like anything constructive if we say something in an episode that you uh can take in different ways then obviously like let us know and we'll clarify what the heck is going on but in this case i would say that this guy had a history of criminal activity since the age of 14. You can go and listen back to our episode where I talked a little bit about his history. I didn't yeah. want to go too deep into his backstory because it wasn't – the case wasn't really about him. It was about Barbara Mackle and Mackle, her yeah. experience being kidnapped and kept underground for three days. Um, so I didn't really want to dive into like his memoirs. Um, but But he had, yeah, he had a criminal history since like a very, very young age, stealing everything and And escalating. Yeah. And, and escalating. And he kidnapped the daughter of a very prominent figure at the time. I mean, this, uh, Barbara Mackle's father was friends with, uh, Nixon. Did I say president Nixon? Yeah. Yeah. So 
you kidna- if you tried to kidnap Baron Trump now, yes, Trump's not the most oh, popular. Leave Baron alone. Go for yeah, Ivanka. But it, but it, like Trump's not the most popular dude in America. But if you kidnapped one of his children, do you think that that person would be walking free, let alone in medical school and practicing afterwards? I mean, do you want my actual answer or? Well, let's say one of the someone kidnapped Malia or Sasha. Oh, Obama. I would make sure they were behind bars for the rest of their lives. Like <laughs> nobody touches the Obama girls. It's just it's it's just crazy, and um, it's just the fact that he would like had a history of criminal activity from such a young age. It escalated. He finally went to jail for this, and he basically conned a friendship with the head of the parole board to get like a lighter sentence almost a because sentence. yeah, yeah cuz he wasn't supposed to uh he was supposed to be in prison for a lot longer than he was and then yeah. goes to medical school and then can practice medicine it's i don't know i don't know how like how would the mackle family feel about that right and i mean just the fact that people also didn't really seem to look too deeply into his background, both when he attended medical school and also when he became a doctor. Like in some cases, people were very much up in arms over it, but there were a lot of cases where either they didn't know or they didn't care. And I think that's more um, the fact that he was a straight or straight passing white man than anything else, but also that clear favoritism that was put forth by the person at the jail, the head of the parole board or whatever he was. Cause I'm sure that he also had in writing things like that. Like, Oh, like he's an upstanding citizen. This was all like a big misunderstanding or whatever lies Christ fed him. No. And especially because this was, I mean, he had connections to different places and this was a planned kidnapping. And like we had said in the episode, one thing goes wrong and this girl dies. Yeah. Like underground. And th- and then what happens? I mean, Barbara Mackle's testimony is the only thing that didn't send him to death row. So you go from almost going to death row to then coming out and being uh a doctor? <laughs> and and we're not saying that he didn't that or that people who commit similar crimes don't deserve to be rehabilitated and don't deserve to become doctors either. But it's just so insanely difficult for our non-US listeners or for our US listeners who aren't like very familiar with our prison system, which it's gross. Um not not you not knowing is gross, but our prison system is pretty gross. Um, like for example, my mom used to work with a lady whose son went to jail for embezzling a fuck ton of money from his company. He was like a financier on Wall Street or some shit like that. Like well, that's he was business like business crime. Rich. That's yeah. But yes, it's business crime. It's not as it but that's what I'm saying. It wasn't, I would say, as severe as kidnapping a prominent figure and holding yeah. her for ransom and burying her under the ground. Um And he served his time, he got out, and it was at a point where they said to him, you can't leave your halfway house if you don't have a place to live lined up or and a job. You have to have both of those things. And he went everywhere. He was, like, applying to be, like, a janitor. He was applying to work, like, third shifts at, like, a local factory. 
He was applying at grocery stores. He like was going door to door and being like, hey, could I like mow your lawn? Yeah. Like shit like that. He could not get a job. And it got to be like after months and months and months, it was like either you get a job or you've got to go back to jail. Yeah. And it didn't matter that he was actively trying. And his mother had said he could live with her. And so eventually she just gave him a job because she owned her own business and he was not able to get a job. And that is more realistic, in my opinion, than doing something so heinous and being able to not just go to medical school, but get a job. And part of the yeah, reason not saying why... That, obviously, that's 100% not fair. Just because, like, you should be given a chance in something, especially for somebody like that who got caught embezzling money. If if you're then given a job that you have no handle over money, let's yeah. say, like, working in a factory, like... He wasn't what? even applying to jobs where kids would be, like, say, like, a school janitor or something like that. Like, exactly. he wasn't... He, he was like, I just want to, like, make a living, honestly, yeah. and... That's that. And he couldn't even do that. And I think that's also why so many people like it's always you read about in these um, newspapers and magazines when a person is incarcerated for a significant amount of time or for a serious crime and they go on to become a lawyer or become a doctor or they like do something really great, like they start a business that only employs people who were previously incarcerated. Yeah. It's it makes the news because it's such a rarity because this system and partially I would say because it's a privatized system and people are literally making money off of other people being imprisoned. Yeah. But it's that system that makes it so impossible for something like that to happen that it makes the news because I I wish I could remember what the retention rate was in the United States. It was like it was a, a it's a stark number of people end up being repeat offenders, but at the same time when you can't get a job, when you don't have a parent who can offer you a place to live, and then there's a place where all you've got to do is violate your parole and you get a bed and a roof over your head and three square meals a day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's it's not just about like wanting to obey the law. It's about needing to survive as well. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I'll say about it is just like, it's hard enough to become a doctor for somebody who has no criminal history that the yeah. fact that he was convicted of this terrible crime and was still allowed to go to medical school and become a doctor, like leapfrogging over people who uh, were like working their asses off. Like I know people who went to school for, um, like medical studies and yeah. like Sin said, it's no fucking joke. No. <laughs> it my, is my friend, a lot of school yeah. and it is hard. So, I mean, kudos to him for actually like passing it. But again, leapfrogging over people who have no criminal history and who want to contribute to society um, in like a positive way instead of this guy who it seemed was kind of in it for the money especially after the whole drug bust years later yeah um, well and and not just that but we had mentioned frank abagnale jr yeah from catch me if you can during this episode and 
he not only did he want to make money, he wanted to be successful, he wanted to be like known, but who's to say that he didn't use the same manipulation tactics he used on the warden of the prison or the head of the parole board as he did with the people who were reviewing his medical school application? Because you have to have like an interview with that and stuff. Yeah. I mean, uh, like, like we've been saying, I only have the information that I could find as I was researching. Right. And um, it just seemed to me in my research, and I will absolutely 100% share my sources for my research. If anybody's interested, I always save my sources. Yep. So if anybody's like, oh, you forgot this, or you left out this, or what about this? I'll give you the whole list of everything I've looked at. I always do five or six sources per episode, make sure cross-reference information, make sure everything's correct. But it just seemed like this guy... Um, Slipped through. Yeah. Yeah. Like he got lucky. Yeah. Slipping through. And he arguably was somebody who didn't necessarily end up being deserving of getting lucky because he took his chance and he used it to, like, for nefarious purposes. It ended up. I mean, if he had gotten out and uh, worked as, like, a dishwasher at a place and then worked his way up to, like, owning a restaurant. Right. You know what? Good for him. Never yeah. get convicted of another crime. Absolutely. That's a success story. But. Yep. It just seemed like this guy had such a history of criminal activity and uh, like you could see some escalation that there was no way that when he was getting out, he wasn't going to go back to his old ways that had worked for him in the past. Like, yeah, yeah. He just didn't seem super sorry about what he did. And why should he get the opportunity to go to medical school when I'm sure there's other people in that prison that right. could have had a better opportunity going there. It's, I'm sure there it's were people not, in that prison who were there for a longer sentence for a lesser crime probably. that could have gone and done something great. Again, these are all hypotheticals because yes. I don't know the the uh, specific ins and outs of this. This is also in the 19, late 1960s, so I don't know what was really going on then. Wasn't around for that, but... You were dead then. I was dead then. Um, but yeah, th that's that's what we got to say on it. And again, if you have anything uh, that seems a little fishy about anything that we talk about, message us on anything. And Ask away. we'll get back to you. And speaking of we'll get back to you, Sin, I just realized we didn't respond to your response. <laughs> so we'll get back to you too. We did not mean to leave you on red. I looked at that and I went, oh, shit. <laughs> happened <laughs> oops we did it again um all right you do the thing where you read it and then you're like distracted by something idea. Like, oh, yes fuck. yes and then the cat starts trying to like long live the king the other cat off the back of the couch and suddenly it's all a a mess um but speaking of repeat offenders if we want to get into the case absolutely if, we're like right. 15 minutes 15 into minutes this episode in. yeah a little bit eh. But um, so again, for those who are just tuning in, if you wanted to skip, can't say I blame you. We certainly love to hear ourselves talk. Um, we're talking about Robert Chambers, a.k.a. the preppy killer. And so he was born Robert Emmett Chambers Jr. on September 25th, 1966, to parents Phyllis Chambers. Here's that word I hate. Nay? Nee? Nay? Nee? 
I'll, I'll never get it. Every time I do these things, I'm like, oh, I'm going to research the rest of it. That's what I do, though. I'm like, I'm going to finish researching and then I'm going to look it up. And by the time I'm done researching, I'm like, what was I going to do? <laughs> Just say formerly um, made a yes. name. The wife formerly known as Stanley. Um, and she was a nurse who, fun fact, once cared for JFK Jr. Ooh. Right? High profile. Um, yes. And Father Robert Emmett Chambers Sr. So Chambers was raised by his mother. Um, he served as an altar boy at his local Catholic church and attended fancy, expensive prep schools on scholarship, including York Prep School and the Browning School in Manhattan and Connecticut's very own Choate Rosemary Hall, which, fun fact, full of fun facts today, is where my brother learned to ice skate. Wow. So we stand Choate in this household. Um, but it is very fucking expensive, and the campus in and of itself is just fucking huge. Yeah, I um, can imagine Connecticut private school. Yeah, well, and not only that, like, at these ice skating lessons, they were free to anybody with special needs. You just had to sign up, and you could be from, like, out of town. Like, you had to be within the state, but you could be from, like, surrounding towns or whatever. They had gourmet cookies and hot chocolate for everybody. Like, that, that like, that thick hot chocolate shit. You know what I mean? Like, Made it's not fucking not microwaved water. Ovaltine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, that's the richness we're talking about here, literally and figuratively. But um, speaking of this, Chambers allegedly struggled with him being very obviously less well off compared to his wealthy classmates um, with a single mom who was just a nurse. She wasn't, and I'm not saying just a nurse. I'm saying like he saw it as, oh, my mom is just a nurse. These kids' parents work on Wall Street and they have yachts and they can afford the tuition at these private schools without me needing a scholarship. Yeah. Um, so all of that really affected him and he became, I guess for lack of a better word, like really insecure about it, whether or not that was how he would word it. I don't know. But um, it resulted in him basically becoming very antisocial and his grades began to slip because he was just so consumed with this everybody is better than me type of mindset. So eventually he got involved with drugs and alcohol, which I know sounds very after school, especially. But like this would prove to be not a good road for him. <laughs> Great. Just going to put that put that out there. Um, so after attending these, these fancy prep schools, Chambers went on to get into Boston University. Again, a, a good school yeah, that's really good school. not particularly easy to get into and not particularly inexpensive. Um, but there he completed one semester before all of my sources say asked to leave. And I'm pretty sure that is white code for got expelled. Okay. Because colleges don't, like, ask you to leave. They throw you out on your ass. Yeah. They're like, leave or we will force you out. Yes. They we don't want. We don't want it to make it look like we forced you out. So we're exactly. going to give you the dignity to leave yourself. Exactly. They lip sync to leave, get out by JoJo, and whoever lip syncs for their life the best gets to stay. And inevitably, the student sashays away. So... He got one semester under his belt before he got expelled. Like, let's just call it what it is. Um, for a variety of transgressions, it was like a multi-strike you're out sort of thing. And really the big heavy hitter was an incident that involved stealing and committing fraud with a friend's credit card. Okay. White Stole his crime. friend's credit card. Well, yes, but also like, I mean, what a shitty friend. 
not the friend who gets the thing stolen, but like he's a shitty friend. Yeah. And so his mother Never give a friend your credit card, by the way. I don't care how I don't close think you they are. I gave it to him. I think he took it. He stole yeah. it. Um like it's different. Yeah, like never give a friend a credit card unless it's like Haley. But never no, no. Like you have a guilt complex. I wouldn't I wouldn't charge anything to it anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Um so Chambers's mom knew that he had a drug habit and an alcohol addiction and that that's why he was stealing and that he had stolen a lot of things before. He like like actually Chris, he started at a very young age with the petty theft and everything. Um so in order to protect him, she talked the friend out of pressing charges against him under the promise that she would have her son go to rehab, that her son was going to go to rehab. Okay. And so then Linda Fairstein, who is the now retired head of the Manhattan DA's sex crimes unit, who prosecuted Chambers, but people probably remember her best as the prosecutor from the Central Park Five case, which oh, yeah. we talked about a few episodes ago. Yeah. Wasn't so... She's she's kind of a hero in this one, not so much in the other one. Um, which is why I'm like, whatever she says something, but she was heavily involved in the case, so she's going to be quoted a few times. But um, she told the New York Post later on, quote, I have always believed that if he had gone to jail for the credit card theft and the thousands of dollars he illegally charged or had stayed for the required amount of time at Hazelden, then Jennifer Levin would have been alive today, end quote. A little spoiler alert. A wee bit. But I mean, his name is the preppy killer. So, so he's killing something. I was going to say, odds are he's not just like licking toes in the middle of the night. Ooh. Um, hey, a crime, am I right? But no. So Chambers got off scot-free and didn't go to rehab and continued to escalate and committed other petty crimes and burglaries to bankroll his addictions because he couldn't hold down a job. And at one point, he was issued a summons for disorderly conduct one night after leaving an Irish-American bar on the Upper East Side with a reputation for serving underage patrons called Dorian's Red Hand. And that will come into play a few times in this case. Um, basically, after the police, like as they were leaving the scenes after they had issued this summons, he, it, all of my sources were like, he destroyed it, which I think he really just like, tore it up i don't know how you can destroy a summons otherwise like what do you, you do, burn do you it? fucking set it on, i was gonna say do you set it on fire like yeah okay but um he did this while yelling after them you fucking cowards oh, i was well, like bold move that's gonna get you real far yeah <laughs> um so in the summer of 1986 18 year old jennifer levin moved from long island to live with her father and stepmother in the manhattan neighborhood of soho her friends and family described her as pretty, vivacious, funny, and fun. Um, like pretty much any other 18-year-old, she liked to drink and go to parties. And she was working as a hostess at a South Street seaport bar while preparing for her first semester at a junior college in Boston. South Street so, Seaport's nice. I mean, yeah. now it is. I don't know if at the time it was. True, true. I we say New, New York, York is nice, and back then it was not nice. <laughs> New York was a sketchy-ass place. <laughs> Yes, it was not so nice. There's a reason why it was so easy for Mark David Chapman to murder John Lennon. Um, yeah. But at about 4.30 in the morning on August 26, 1986, Levin and Chambers, who was at the time 19, almost 20, 
were they were casual friends. Um, allegedly, they'd had some flings in the past, but also Levin may or may not have had a boyfriend outside of Chambers. So not much is known for her past, mostly because not all of the sources are trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was a, generally a good a good person, a good kid. Um, so they left Dorian's Red Hand and walked into an area of Central Park behind the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And Chambers was five or no, he was six foot five. I almost said five foot six. And I was like, nah, fam, six foot five and 220 pounds. Six and foot five is tall. Yeah. 220 pounds is pretty fucking big, too. Yeah. Like this dude was a linebacker. So he he weighed twice as much as Levin and was about a foot taller than her. Uh huh. Important to note. So then fast forward a few hours and at dawn, a cyclist discovered Levin's body in that area of Central Park where they had gone. She had been strangled with her bra. Her clothes were ripped off and her underwear was actually eventually found 100 yards away. Mm. Um, Her half naked body showed clear signs of a violent struggle. There were bruises, there were bite marks and even cuts on her neck from her own nails from when she was trying to free herself from her attacker's grip. Oh, God. Yeah. So Chambers had initially remained on the scene, hiding in some vegetation as he watched the police investigate. But he left when the police were like, all right, everybody, break it up. And he kind of just assimilated with the crowd and left. Okay. So authorities began interviewing patrons at Dorian's. And multiple witnesses said that they saw Levin leaving the bar with Chambers. And their friends said that the two of them had been casually dating all summer. Police then located Chambers, whose face they noted was covered with cuts and scratches, Uh and he was arrested a few hours after Jennifer Levin's body was found. Okay. So, obviously, he was brought back to the police station, and the interrogation began, and Chambers would continuously refer to Levin as a, quote, bitch. That's not going to help you, buddy. mm Mm-hmm. Oh, and he also asked, quote, why didn't she leave me alone? End quote. Mm-hmm. Which I think I think the real question is, why didn't you leave her alone? But anyway, yeah, right? um, regarding what happened to Levin, first Chambers claimed that the marks on her body and his face were from his cat. But then. Yeah, sure. He, well, yeah, here's the here's the yeah, sure. He then admitted to the investigators um, his cat had been declawed. <laughs> which i don't support make no mistake but at the same time uh, uh, what yeah as somebody <laughs> that owns a cat with claws yeah you're gonna get scratched to shit but not that hard in the face i like, was gonna say in the face no i've been scratched on the chin once and it was an accident well they yeah. all were accidents but you get scratched in the face once and you swat the cat away like <laughs> The oh, cat's no, I like, got, like, kicked. I got, she, like, was falling off my lap and decided to use my chin as, like, her hooking point. And I was like, nah. Yeah. That's not how we do this here. But, um, yeah, so that was the first one. Then he told them that while Levin and he left the bar together, they then went their separate ways when she went to go buy cigarettes. At which point Levin's friends said she wasn't a smoker. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Like, not even good, not even good lies. If you're going like, to murder and, someone, like, you're not going to come up with a story beforehand? Like, Well, beyond that, beyond that, you're going to say she was a smoker. You've been dating her all summer. 
it, granted it was casually, but you've been dating her all summer and she didn't smell like an ashtray once when you kissed her. That is your first clue that mm, she's probably not a smoker. Yeah. So after that, he then told them that while, uh, oh, no, I just read that. <laughs> Here I go. Um, after that, he told them that Levin had wanted to have rough sex after they left, like when they left the bar. That's kind of like why they left is she wanted to sleep with him. Okay. Um, so they walked into Central Park and found a secluded patch of lawn across the East Drive, which is where her body was later found. And he explained that she died when she began hurting him. So he pushed her off himself, telling the police in a recorded confession, quote, I couldn't take it anymore and I managed to get my left hand free. So I kind of sat up a little and just grabbed at her. I just grabbed her neck as hard as I could and she just flipped over me and landed right next to the tree. And then she didn't move, end quote. Uh-huh. So, okay, again, he is twice her size. Um, but not saying she could not hurt him. But he is twice her size. Yeah. So it's not like she's able to hold him down. Right. It's not like she's able to hold him down, but also like, it's like when Frankenstein in like, he kills that little girl because he's so much bigger than her. It's it's an obvious thing that like you need to, not that you need to be like super gentle because women are delicate flowers, but like, you know what I mean? Like, you, you gotta be gentle with people that you're larger than. You don't just fucking punt a baby like it's a football. Like, yeah. you don't do these things. So, the authorities weren't buying his story, but not for the reasons that you would think. Because it sounded like an obvious lie? No, 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 no. It, it's worse. Um, so, Fairstein said during the trial, quote, In more than 8,000 cases of reported assaults in the last 10 years, this is the first in which a male reported being sexually assaulted by a female, end quote. Not saying that doesn't happen. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. That's not great. Like, right off the bat, I was like, ew. Because that's not the reason you shouldn't believe him. Yes, it's one thing to be like, oh, well, how could she, could he, could she have pinned him down when he's twice her size? Like, you I mean, were saying. he could have been more drunk than her. Yes. Um, he, she could have drugged could, him. She could have drugged him. She could have uh, brought some type of uh, object to, like, handcuff him or keep yes, him down or something. There's it is ways. possible for men to be raped, believe me. Yeah, but in this case, it does not seem like that that was what was going on. Yes, no. Um, and beyond that, it's her Fairstein's argument of like, oh, well, we had all these cases and there wasn't a single report of a man being raped. Well, yeah, there's a lot of fucking states right now that are going, we have seen no increase in COVID cases because we're not testing. If yeah, you don't exactly. have the people coming forward and being like, hey, I'm a man who was raped by a man or a woman, like that is obviously going to affect your data on whether or not yeah, exactly. these things happen and because it is so just stigmatized like men are not given women are treated like like their objects and everything and in a similar vein men are treated like it's shameful that they oh like you were raped by a yeah, girl how, how could you, you were raped by a dude yeah yeah how could you be put in that position like why didn't you fight back and, and yes. stuff like that yes it's a testament to your lack of toughness yeah so not great no i'm not loving it but um 
Nevertheless, despite Chambers' allegations against Levin, he didn't seem to have any explanation as to why he left her body there and just went back home to his dad's apartment. Yeah, exactly. So the investigators were wary and ultimately charged him with second-degree murder. So in a matter of days, Chambers' attorney, Jack T. Littman, who is just a fucking douchebag, um, began laying the groundwork. He's one of those, like, he's not an ambulance chaser, but he's just as sleazy. Does that make sense? Yeah. He's a better call Saul level I haven't uh, seen lawyer. it. I know. Oh, I know. I'm it's sorry. All, I'm sorry, all, all Bob Odenkirk. All the people will know the, uh, the reference. <laughs> oh, great. I'm not a good people anymore. No. Um, I never was. But he began laying the groundwork for his defense, which was based on victim blaming. And insisted that in this instance, Levin had actually been the aggressor, not Chambers, but Levin was also basically a slut. Okay. So as the case headed towards trial, meanwhile, the media became fascinated with Chambers and dubbed him the preppy killer. Um, he was very handsome. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you. He looks like not Ted Bundy fucking, handsome. No, not Ted Bundy handsome. Like he looks like the dude in American beauty that like dipped off for a little while and then came back in Hunger Games because he was like into drugs, but like dark hair, blue eyes, like chiseled jaw, like the whole thing. He could be on Bridgerton if he wasn't, you know, murdering and raping women. Um, But it's all of those things in combination with the elite circles he was in when he was a privileged prep school student that led to him being dubbed the preppy killer. Okay. So this is probably actually because of how, like, he looked. So many people, like, were giving this case attention, and it was one of the most widely publicized cases before the O.J. Simpson trial. Wow. Because everybody was just like, oh, wow, like, hot dude kills woman, who also wasn't particularly bad to look at herself. Um, So he actually, he even ended up on the cover of New York Magazine. Good for him. (laughs) What a guy. So despite all the notoriety and all of that, that so many people were just like paying attention to this case, Chambers being able to get bail was another story. So according to Roger Stavis, an attorney on Chambers' defense team, quote, we had information about the burglaries and about Robert's addiction. These were huge problems for him and they became huge problems for us. How can we ensure that we could get bail? The judge, Howard Bell, was under tremendous pressure to not grant bail in the case, so we wanted to bring out facts that helped to support our defense, end quote. So one thing that was extremely helpful to Chambers' defense team's attempt to prove that he was, you know, a nice all-American boy who deserves to be out on bail was assistance from the Catholic Church. Those Catholic, Catholic Church... I, I'm not wow. even surprised. I am not even surprised. All of the boys who may or may not have spiked girls' drinks in high school, at my high school, all of them were altar boys. Um, but anyway, and I went to Catholic school, so granted, lots of people were altar boys, but I rest yeah. my case. Um, so formal car- former Cardinal Theodore Bishop, who people will really know in the future because he ended up being the most senior Catholic official to ever be defrocked which is basically like removing him from his position of power as the head of a diocese, which is like a group of Catholic parishes and parishioners. Um, 
he was defrocked because of his involvement or lack thereof in the Catholic Church's child sexual abuse scandal. That's he's one of the ones that like knew about it and didn't report it. Yeah. Um, he wrote a letter to the court on Chambers's behalf. Just showing the good old Catholic values. Just yeah. But um, and then beyond that, a lot of clergy and whatnot were showing those good Catholic values. Um, they attempted to help him and support him, um, in addition to Bishop's letter, former Archbishop Theodore McCarrick, who would also later be defrocked after accusations of him sexually abusing young boys surfaced. Uh-huh. He wrote a letter to the judge for Chambers to be released on bail. Um, a parish leader named Monsignor Thomas P. Leonard invited Chambers to stay at his church under his supervision upon his release, should he be granted bail, so that, like, it would be like, oh, if you let him out, like, everybody will be safe, because he'll be with me. Uh-huh. And another priest offered up his life savings to put towards Chambers' bail, saying, according to Stavis, quote, I am just following Jesus Christ. I am helping a person in need, end quote. Sure. I can think of a lot of other people in need. I can think of a yeah. lot of other people in need. Like this girl's family. Yes, exactly. Like this girl. Yeah. Um, and then later on, multiple members of the clergy attended his trial as support. Like, not to, like, testify or anything, just to support him. Yep. So, Fairstein later remarked on the situation, quote, All of this was supposed to cloak Rob in the holiness of the Catholic Church. He was a good boy from a religious family. Look, he's living with the priests. They are not afraid of him. Nobody has to be. End quote. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. But, nevertheless, Judge Bell eventually granted Chambers a $150,000 bond. And he remained free on bond in the months before a jury was assembled, partially because of the church's efforts, but also because Jack Dorian, the owner of the bar that he and Levin had left from, knew Chambers. He had gone to school with his son, Michael. And so he offered his Upper East Side townhouse as collateral for part of his bail. Oh, okay. Because he was such a nice young man. Great. Yeah, I gotta love white men looking out for white men, you know? So, once the trial got underway, it was relatively short compared to others we've talked about. It lasted less than three months. Um, One witness testified that Levin was behaving in a, quote, physically assertive, end quote, manner as she flirted with Chambers at the bar. Another one said that she was, quote, definitely drunk, end quote, that night. However, John A. Zaccaro Jr., who was a bartender at Darien's, Dorian's. Wait, I misspelled that. Okay. I spelled it with an A and I was like, that's not it. He was a bartender at Dorian's. He's also the son of former Democratic vice presidential candidate Geraldine Ferraro. Okay. He testified that he was working at the bar the night of Levin's murder and he didn't remember either Chambers or Levin being particularly drunk and certainly not drunk enough that like they were being like loud or belligerent or anything like that. Yeah. So, meanwhile, Littman tried repeatedly and failed repeatedly to get access to Levin's journal, which he said he needed to use as evidence because it was a, quote, sex diary, end quote, with writings mm. that he believed would exonerate his client. Oh, uh, fuck that. 
fuck that. Like, what is it with these creepy old men wanting to publish murdered women's diaries because they think there's this, like, salacious, like, information in there? Yeah. Like, what the fuck is with this? So anyway, on March 25th, 1988, um, the jury was in its ninth day of deadlock and still deliberating. So Chambers eventually decided to accept a plea deal, which really kind of surprised everybody because everybody was so, oh, he's not guilty. He's so hot. He can't be guilty. He's a Catholic boy. Mm-hmm. So he pled first guilty. He pled first guilty. He pled guilty to first degree manslaughter and agreed to serve five to 15 years in prison. Um, a few weeks after the plea deal, you ready to fucking rage? Mm. Oh, get ready. So there was this tabloid TV program called A Current Affair, which was kind of like the inside edition or E of the 80s. They aired a video that they'd uncovered of Chambers at a party that happened around the time of the jury selection process for his trial, a.k.a. while he was under the supervision of this priest who he was living with. Yep. And in the video, he was mocking Levin and her murder by acting out the death of a doll, breaking its neck and saying in a mock falsetto voice, quote, oops, I think I killed her, end quote. What a fucking twat head. Asshole. So obviously, like, everybody was even more pissed. Um, Between that and Littman's victim-blaming tactics, like, victims' advocates had already been pissed. Levin's parents, understandably, had been pissed. Um, And these feelings did not subside after Chambers took this plea deal, which was such a relatively sweet deal. Yeah. Um... So after his sentencing, Levin's parents filed a wrongful death suit against Chambers, to which he pleaded no contest. The Levins were awarded $25 million in compensatory and punitive damages, and the court ordered that Chambers was to pay them all the money he received, including any income from book or movie deals pertaining to this case. Okay, so they just assumed that there was going to be books and movies. Oh, hell yeah. And they'd be right. But... Anyway, um, so Fairstein said, quote, the defense smeared her reputation quite unjustly. She was just fodder for them because she was dead, end quote, which, again, seems to be a pattern for deceased female victims of horrific crimes. Yeah. And like, honestly, like, I'd love to ask why, but I think we all know why. Um, There was one headline and I'm trying to remember what it was. It was like a New York Post headline and it was like Jennifer's like road to her murder or something like that or like the actions jennifer took that led to her murder uh-huh. like like lots of victim blamey headlines because of Littman's portrayal of her yeah. in this trial um so then the levens also filed a civil suit against jack dorian again the owner of dorian's red hand saying the bar continued to serve chambers well after he was obviously drunk and dorian settled with the levens in 2009 for an undisclosed amount of money Okay. So Chambers is still in jail today. Just not for Levin's murder. Hmm. Um, He assaulted a guard and got caught in possession of drugs while serving his sentence for the manslaughter. Um, he, so he ended up serving the maximum sentence of 15 years at Auburn State Prison in New York. 
And then after his altercation with the guard and everything, he was transferred to the Clinton Correctional Facility, which is a prison in New York that's like along the Canadian border and is nicknamed Little Siberia because (laughs) it's been home to some of New York's most violent offenders, including mafia boss Charles Lucky Luciano. And nearly five years of Chambers' prison sentence was served, were served in solitary confinement. Oof. Yeah. So he was released on February 14th, 2003, and was immediately met with the media attention he received back in the 80s. So remember, like, yeah, that judge, not too far off by being like, any money you make off this fucking case goes to her family. I mean, I feel Um, like that should be the baseline. I feel like none of these criminals should be able to make money off of the crime. Like, that should be put into law. It should be, but it's not. That's wild. I know. So... He he did, like, a bunch of stuff, including an interview with 48 Hours, um, like, an interview with them. Like, he was yeah. all over the place. But his freedom was short-lived because after a series of drug offenses, including getting arrested for heroin and cocaine possession at a traffic stop in 2007. No, Fun. 2005. 2005, he ended up getting 100 days in prison. Chambers pled guilty to selling cocaine out of his and his girlfriend's midtown Manhattan apartment and assaulting a police officer in 2008. Wow. So he is he he was sentenced to 19 years in prison and is currently incarcerated at Sullivan Correctional Facility, which is about 100 miles north of Manhattan. And one of his fellow inmates, fun fact, Ronald DeFeo Jr., Oh, Amityville. Yes, yes, from Amityville. You know, he fucking killed his family. So, yeah. Um, Chambers' possible next earliest possible release date is January 25th, 2024, which is not particularly far away. No. It's relatively close. Yeah. Um, But he's still fucking around in prison, and I bet his mom is really proud that she vouched for him and protected him all those years. Um. Good. Got him the help he needed, yeah. that's for sure. Meanwhile, Levin's mom, Ellen, went on to become an advocate for victims' rights and helps write language that has, since she started, been used in over a dozen laws. Uh-huh. Um, when Chambers was released from prison in 2003, she remarked to the media, quote, if he continues along the course he's been on, he will be his own worst enemy. I think of what Jennifer might be doing, what she would look like. I think about the grandchildren I won't have, and all that loss runs deep, end quote. Yeah, that's so sad. Yeah. So, on that happy note, uh, kind of segueing more into the pop culture sort of things, artist, musician, and poet Karen Finley mentions Chambers twice in her 1990 book Shock Treatment. Mm-hmm. It has a 3.84 out of 5 on Goodreads and has the synopsis, quote, Shock Treatment includes Karen Finley's most provocative and acclaimed performance monologues, essays, and poems with the constant state of desire. We keep our victims ready. It's only art and black sheep. Excoriating misogyny, homophobia, abusive families, greed, and state coercion of bodies and minds, Finley holds out hope for a world informed not by hate and fear, but by truth and unconditional love, end quote. Mm-hmm. But that's not the most famous written work that features Chambers. In the 1991 novel by Brett Easton Ellis, American Psycho, Patrick Bateman mentions trying to start a defense fund for Chambers, which fucking checks out. 
very yeah. on brand. Um, so for those who aren't familiar with the novel, which I think is like a thousand pages, um, it's a classic and plus it's a banned book. So that's always fun. But it has a 90% Google score and a 3.8 out of 5 on Goodreads out of over 250,000 reviews. And the synopsis from Goodreads is short and sweet. Quote, Patrick Bateman is 26 and he works on Wall Street. He is handsome, sophisticated, charming, and intelligent. He is also a psychopath. Taking us to head-on collision with America's greatest dream and its worst nightmare, American Psycho is bleak, bitter, black comedy about a world we all recognize but do not wish to confront, end quote. Wow. That's about it. That, that sums it up. That yeah. and their head in the fridge. Um, there's also some music that has been based on this case, including the Sonic Youth song Eliminator Jr. from their 1988 album Daydream Nation, and the killer song Jenny Was a Friend of Mine from their 2004 album Hot Fuss, uh-huh. That was based on Chambers's claim during the trial that he had no motive for the murder because Levin and he were, quote, friends, end quote. Mm-hmm. And to that I say, friends don't slut shame friends after they've died and you're on the stand for their murder. Anyway, yeah. but also several TV series have based episodes in the case on the case. Um, including Law and Order Season 1, Episode 4, Kiss the Girls and Make Them Die, which is just a fun title. I love it. Damn. I was like, this is a great title. Um, not a great thing. Bad crime. Terrible subject matter. But like, ooh, that's that's a snappy title. Yeah. Um, it has a 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb, probably because of the title. And Law and Order Criminal Intent, Season 2, Episode 15, Monster, um, that has an 8.4 out of 10 on IMDb and was based on both this case and the Central Park Jogger case, which is okay. kind of similar. Yeah. Uh, furthermore, actor Mike Doyle, who many people know, um, he was the forensic like scientist person on Law and Order that gets killed. Ryan, I think like O'Doyle, his name was or something. Okay. And he also was Andrew Reynolds' longtime boyfriend. Um he said that he based his character on the HBO series Oz, Adam Gwinzel. Uh-huh. He based him on Chambers, and he oh. has a very similar storyline. Okay. Um, so on November 13th, 2019, AMC aired a five-part miniseries on the case called The Preppy Murder, Death in Central Park, which featured interviews and also evidence that was deemed inadmissible during the trial and was not previously made public. Mm. So that's pretty dope. And it has a 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb and an 83% tomato meter rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And finally, there's also a TV movie based on this case titled The Preppy Murder, which aired on ABC in 1989 and stars Billy Baldwin from, you know, those those Baldwins, yes, as Chambers. And Lara Flynn Boyle from Twin Peaks and Men in Black 2 is Levin. Well, damn. I know. Which also not too far off because, like, Levin was that pretty. Uh-huh. Um, like, they got, they got the looks down pat. Um, but, yeah, it's also, fun fact, one of the early works of Sandra Bullock, who has a small part in the movie. Wow. Right? Diedrich Bader is also in it. He has a small part. Um, the only, or not the only, but like the Heather that tries to kill herself. I don't remember which one that is. I think it's Heather Chandler, but maybe not from Heather's, the one in the yellow. She is in this movie. There's like a lot of people in this movie, including the actual detective from the case. He got a small cameo in it. 
Mm-hmm. And it has a 5.4 out of 10 on IMDb, a 74% Google score, and a 30% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So you can take that and do what you want with it and watch it on Prime at your own risk. Go for it. And that is the story of Robert, hopefully, rots in jail chambers. Well, damn. I made that nickname up myself, but you know what? I think it's going to stick. I think that works. I think it works. But yeah. How's what that a piece for depressing? Seriously, though, like, what an asshole. Like, and it's just like kind of also setting a precedent for all these other little jackasses to be like, oh, like, I could just say whatever it takes to like make her look bad because she's not here anymore. And what about my future? Like, it's just. You don't get to have a future when you take a future away from somebody else. Yes, exactly. I wish it was that easy. I, like, That's I wish bullshit. it was just like that cut and dry that people were just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then. <sighs> yeah. So we'll have info about the case on the website. Yeah, we will. Podcast.tumblr.com. Uh, you can email us, crimeculturepod at gmail.com. We have, we've forgotten to say the email every once in a while. And now that oh. we've, like, <laughs> we've been saying it more we're getting more emails i'm like that checks but um we've gotten some fun emails and people continue to send us pictures of their pets which just makes me the happiest person i am here for it yeah um also our social media facebook instagram twitter we are Um, also accepting pets on there yeah anywhere you want to send pets to us i'm i'm down for it i'm here for it yeah yeah uh, we got some really fun stuff. Fun? Sure. Mm, let's scratch that. Some very <laughs> uh, requested cases coming mm. uh, in the next couple weeks. So do with that information what you will. Yeah. And uh, we will see you next Tuesday. Sounds good to me. Okay, bye. Bye.